If, uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. This will be in, uh, in just a few moments. Man, how about that Isaiah 25 text? That is a powerful text. On this mountain, the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast. Everything else is going to be destroyed. God is going to take care of us. Death will be destroyed forever. God will wipe away every tear from every eye. That's the hope that we have in Jesus right there. That there is, uh, there's nothing else that divides us. There's nothing else that causes pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more injustice. There's no evil. There's no prejudice. There's no racism. There's nothing else. We all gather around the Lord's table. That is a a powerful thing that we look forward to. That's why I think that having a a strong theology of the table is uh, such an important thing. Anyway, I just, I couldn't help but be moved by that passage as I heard uh, Jeffrey reading it and uh, and making his comments on it, because it really is a a powerful thing and a vision uh, of what we have to look forward to. So, let's get to Mark 6. For the last eight weeks, we have been talking about what it means to leave your mark. Mark, the author, John Mark, he left his mark on the world by telling us the story of Jesus. And we leave our mark on the world by living like Jesus for others to see. Jesus left his mark on the world By living a sinless life, by coming down and dwelling in flesh and blood among flesh and blood, and then taking the sins of all mankind and going to a cross. But that wasn't the most important thing. The most important thing is that he arose from the dead, the resurrection. And when that happened... That broke the power of death. That's why Isaiah could write that God is going to wipe away every tear from every eye and write that death is going to be destroyed because of the power of the resurrection. That's the mark that that Jesus left. Okay, He left that mark on the world. And now we, as His followers, we are seeking to leave our mark on people. Everybody with me? That's it. That's what He's talking about. Well, today we're only looking at six and really not even a full six verses. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in just these these few verses. When I go home, you know, it's, you know, it's great. Okay, I don't mean home like home like where I live here. I mean when I go to where I'm from. When I go back to the north side of Atlanta and I go and I see all of my people. All of my friends and all of my family. You know, it's, it's great. Uh, I don't get to do it often and it, especially I don't get to do it on a lot of Sundays. But when I do, you know, I see all of these people, many of whom have known me for my whole life. You know, and a lot of times, you know, they'll tell me how proud they are and they'll say, you know, I knew you were going to be a preacher when you grew up. Uh, you know, going home for me is, it's, it's easy. You know, I'm welcomed, I'm I'm loved. You know, I'm able to go home and and talk about Jesus to my family and my friends, and and I'm listened to. And for the most part, nobody is offended because, you know, I mean, I think that's kind of what everybody expected. 
You know, that's what I started trying to do as a, as a kid. And so everybody's like, oh yeah, well that makes sense. That's what he's always done. Okay, so nobody is, is surprised by that. But has anybody ever been offended by your faith? Been offended by the fact that you follow Jesus? Now that's happened to me outside of home. It's happened to me at other places. I remember one time, uh, Bethany and I were invited to go and have a meal with some people. And one of the uh, guests that was invited found out that I was a preacher. And before they even met me, backed out, declined. Okay. And so, you know, it was, and that's because, you know, I think this person thought they were going to get, you know, beat over the head with a Bible when they, when they showed up. Okay. And it's not a, a pleasant feeling. Okay. It's not fun when somebody is offended by our faith, but the truth is it probably should be happening more than it does. Let me say that again, because I'm not sure you picked up on what I just put down. People should be more offended by our faith. Not because we're jerks, but because we don't stop talking about Jesus. To the point that people are like, hey look, I don't want to hear that Jesus stuff anymore. The fact that people might not be as offended as they are, could be to the fact that we don't talk about Jesus enough. You know what I'm talking about? That's true for me. Okay? But some of us, you, you know what it's like to have people be offended by your faith. You know, maybe you, you grew up not living for Jesus. And then somewhere along the line, something happened. You met somebody, uh, you, somebody invited you to church, you heard something, somebody took you through or, or invited you to a Bible study and took you through the scriptures and led you to Jesus. And then you gave your life to him. You confess that Jesus is Lord. And then you reenacted the death, the burial, and the resurrection through baptism. And you were resurrected and created new. And then, then you went back home among the people who know you. And they kind of ridicule you for your faith. Because they know how you are. They know that's really not you. Can anybody relate to that? And, you know... If you can't, you probably know somebody who can. And if you can relate to that, then you're in good company because that's kind of what happens to Jesus here in, in Mark chapter 6. We know that up to this point, Jesus has been engaged in some incredibly powerful ministry. He's done a little bit of teaching. He's done a whole lot of healing. And we especially saw that come to light last week and the week before that as we, we looked into Mark chapter 5 as he had this encounter with this, this demoniac that had the legion of demons indwelling him. And then last week as he encountered the woman with the, the issue of blood and then Jairus' daughter who got sick and, and died. Jesus has been engaged in a powerful powerful ministry and we have seen lots and lots and lots of people coming to Jesus lots of people wanting to talk about Jesus and Jesus wouldn't let them 
And it wasn't until a couple of weeks ago that Jesus finally allowed somebody to talk about him. And it was the man that had the demons. And the reason Jesus let him talk is because they didn't want to hear Jesus. They were scared of him, right? So Jesus sent this guy as his ambassador to go and be his representative to talk about him. And the guy went not just to his own hometown and made converts. He went to ten other cities in the Decapolis. And it says that the people that heard him, the people were amazed. But now, Jesus is coming home. It's going to be a homecoming for him. And, you know, I wonder what he's thinking about. Look at, uh, look at verse 1 right here. It says that he left there and he came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And I wonder what Jesus was thinking. As he approaches home, what are the things that are, are, are kind of going on uh, in his mind? You know, uh, was he excited to be returning home? Was he anxious about it? Was he a little bit nervous about how the people would receive him? Was he worried that his family was going to embarrass him in front of his friends about old stories? You know what I'm talking about? You ever brought somebody home and you're excited? Remember, you remember doing that? You remember bringing somebody home, whether it be from college or bringing a girl home to meet your family for the first time and you're just praying your brothers and sisters don't start talking. Because you know they're going to talk about the time that you did something that totally embarrassed yourself. right? And so I wonder if this is what Jesus is thinking. He came from a big family. okay? He's got lots of brothers and sisters. As a matter of fact, they're going to be mentioned in just a couple of verses. You know, is he worried that here he comes, he's, he's bringing these disciples and they know he's the man. They've seen him do these things. And then all of a sudden his brother Jude says, hey, remember that time, Jesus? Remember when you did, you know, and, and embarrass him in front of his friends. You know, was he, was he thinking about that? Was he worried that maybe he would bring embarrassment to his family by returning home since it's the oldest responsibility to take care of the family when the father passes? And yet for a little while, Jesus has been, has been out. And so I wonder, you know, what he's thinking about as he gets to his hometown and he's got his disciples, he's got his disciples in tow. So watch, now watch verse 2. It gets to be the Sabbath day. And it said, when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were, what's the word in yellow? Astonished. They were astonished. He does what he always did. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And then he stands up, he would take a scroll, he would read it, and then he would sit down in the teaching position and he would begin to teach. And this is what he's doing at his home synagogue. The synagogue where he grew up. The synagogue where everybody should know who he is. Okay, He's there and it says that they are absolutely astounded by the things that he has to say. Now notice the rest of the verse. Where did he get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? His people, the Nazarenes, 
They're absolutely blown away by the words that he speaks, just as, as many others have been. You know, they said, where did he get these, these things? The things, I think, is the authority that he has brought. Okay, remember, what do people keep saying about him? He speaks with authority unlike our religious leaders. Okay, they would say, you know, somebody has said this. This is what this says. This is what that says. Jesus comes and says, you've heard it said this, but now I'm telling you that. And so he speaks in his own authority. And so when they say, where did he get these things? That's, that's kind of what they're talking about. You know, what is this wisdom that he has? This insight that he is, he's laying on us. And how is he doing the things that he is doing? He's been gone for a little while, but word about his exploits has obviously made its way back to Nazareth. His reputation has preceded him. They have heard about the miracles that he's been doing. Okay? And Mark has summed it up for us with that one word. They were astounded. They were astounded by Jesus. And realistically, shouldn't we be astounded by Jesus all the time? We should live in a constant state of astonishment when we ponder what Jesus has done. This is what Jeffrey is, was, was trying to point us to as we think about the resurrection, as we think about what we give back to the church and, or back to the kingdom. It's because we live in a state of astonishment that God would love us so much that he would send his one and only son to die for us so that we can have a, a better Life, the people are astonished. But then, but then if you'll notice, there's a shift that takes place in Nazareth. As he is speaking, something, something happens. Someone notices something. Maybe it's in his mannerisms. Maybe it's the way he speaks, it's his cadence and his voice. But something happens and there's a shift in Nazareth. Notice verse 3. They say, isn't this, isn't this the carpenter? You know, the, the son of Mary. And is, this is the brother of, of James and, and Joseph and Judas and, and Simon. Aren't his, aren't his sisters here with us? You see, they've only known Jesus as a carpenter. And all of a sudden, they realize, and I don't know why they didn't recognize it before, because Nazareth is not a big place. It's like 1,600 people. Maybe 2,000 at its fullest of population. But how do they not recognize who He is? He's speaking, they're astounded by Him, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, 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 wait a minute. That's the carpenter. That's, that's, that's Jesus. We, we know who, we know who he is. You see, they weren't accustomed to seeing Jesus in this, in this role. You see, they would have gone to him for other things. Like when they would build a house. Now the houses weren't made out of wood, but the door frames would, would be. And so they would go to Jesus and get him to build a wooden door frame and to frame in the door. Or they'd go to him when they needed other household things. 
like, like tables or maybe wagons when things needed repair. That's the role that they know Jesus in. That's his lane. Now, all of a sudden, they're saying, no, wait a minute. This guy, this is the guy, this, this carpenter that we've always known? That's, that's Mary's boy. His brothers are sitting right here. James, Joseph, Judas, Simeon, Simon, his sisters are here too. Who is, you know, what does he think he's doing? You'll see that I've got the words son of Mary in yellow. And it's possible, it's possible that this is meant as an insult. Because... He normally would have been rendered the son of, of Joseph. But the fact that they're putting it on son of Mary means that they're talking about he just not Joseph's kid. And they're starting something scandalous. Okay, that Joseph is not his biological father, which we know that. But here they're kind of laying this out almost as an insult. This is, this is the son of, of, of Mary. We know this guy. Now then watch, watch the rest of the verse. So they were, say that word with me, offended by him. What started out as astonishment and amazement, you know, this, where did he get these things, has shifted to, oh, oh yeah. That's, that's just Jesus. That's, that's Mary's boy. And it went from, oh yeah, we know who this guy is, to being completely offended by Jesus. And the question is, why were they offended? Why would they be offended? Because, you know, this looked like the local boy who has made good, and now he's come home. So why are they offended by this? It's because he's not staying in his lane. You see it? What, what, what was Jesus' job? He was a carpenter. He's Mary's boy. Comes from questionable circumstances and background. Who does he think he is to stand up and be telling us this kind of stuff. He didn't stay in his lane. Okay? He has, he has risen above his, his station. Now then, Jesus wasn't poor necessarily. But he wasn't from the important class. He wasn't from the, the educated class. He was from the working class. And they become offended at him. What we see is that this, this offense at Jesus and these questionings of Jesus, they fall into a pattern that we have seen from the beginning of the book. And so if you look at it, there's been kind of a point counterpoint as we've worked our way through this between the demons and the people. Almost every encounter that Jesus has had with demons, what has been their response? Oh yeah, that's just Jesus. No, they're shaking. They're afraid. They know who He is. They recognize His power. 
Okay? In 1 verse 24, they say, I know who you are, not Mary's boy. You are the Holy One of God. And the people say, what's this? This, this new uh, teaching, this new teaching, this, this new authority. They're questioning. And two, he would not let the demon speak. Why? Because they knew who he was. Why does this fellow talk like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Remember that? When he healed the lame man that the four friends, they brought and they lowered down the roof. And uh, they lowered down through the roof. And Jesus, the first thing he did was forgive the guy's sins. Right? Because spiritual healing is the most important thing. And the religious leaders are sitting there in the crowd and they are offended because Jesus has claimed to forgive sins. Okay? And their response that comes between this question and this statement is, that is blasphemy. Who do you think you are? Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. 3.11, the demon says, you are the son of God. 4.41, who is this? Who is this guy that even the wind and the waves obey him? 5.7, what do you want with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God. And then right here, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's boy? His brothers and sisters are, are, are right here. Who does he... Who does he think he is? We see time and time again that the demonic forces of evil, they absolutely recognize Jesus when they encounter him. It's the people that are having the problem. You see that? Us! The people, we are the ones that have the problem believing that Jesus is who He says He is. But we don't have that problem today. We've nailed that one, right? That's not an issue for us. We're all believers. Nobody doubts, right? People still say, who is Jesus? Who is He? You know? There are people that still say He was crazy. There are people that still believe that Jesus was a liar. There are people that still believe that Jesus was just a guy who was a really good man and he was a really great teacher, but Messiah, you know, Savior, Son of God, I don't, I don't think so. But yet, the demons, just like the song we sang, tremble. Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. We've seen it over and over and over again throughout this, this book. Well, watch what happens in verse 4. Jesus responds. He said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. And this backs up exactly what took place in chapter 3, 31, 32, that area. Remember, Jesus is talking. His family thinks he's nuts. And they go, hey, Jesus, come on home. Come on, we're here, you know. And they say, hey, Jesus, your, your mother's here. Your, your brother, your family's here. And Jesus looks around and he says, who's my mother? Who's my brothers? These people, the ones that want to do the will of God, they are my family. Okay? 
And so he says, hey, look, a prophet is worthy of honor except when he goes home. Why? Because we think we know somebody, right? Now, and I can relate to this a little bit. It brings three stories to mind. The first time I ever spoke in church was in the fall of 1984. Okay? I was about this tall. I stood on a milk crate behind this wooden podium. My church had what we called a Timothy class. Okay? Uh, Timothy, you know, is Paul's young mentor, and Paul kind of raised him up. Well, that was kind of the idea. We're going to teach these boys to read Scripture and to lead singing and to say prayers and to, to read things that had been written for them. And so, for some reason, in this, whatever grade I was in, probably the second grade, I thought, that sounds fun. I'm going to volunteer for the Timothy class, not knowing what was going on, okay? Because I was a shy kid, okay? Uh, very introverted, believe that or not. Okay, uh, I still am, by the way, introverted. You just, I just, you just don't see it that often because I'm introverted. But I volunteered, and so I got up, and I remember, I, you know, it's my turn. I've got my suit on, and my tie, and I've got my, my, my papers of what I'm going to read, and I climb up on the milk crate, and I set it down, and my brother gives me a shout-out from the crowd. Okay, my brother, Matt. He goes, hey, hey, Jason. He starts waving to me from the seats. In 1984, I was eight years old. Okay? I was terrified. And you can, I remember listening to the tape. Listening, because they, they, they taped it. And I remember listening to it. And you can hear the quiver in my voice as I had to read whatever it was they had, had given me to read. Okay? So, yeah, that was it. That was my first thing that kind of comes to mind with this verse. The second thing, years later, 22 years later, I've got my first full-time ministry job. I'm a youth minister at the church where my family attends, okay, where my brothers go. My middle brother is out of the youth group. My younger brother, Matt, who gave me the shout-out, is in the youth group. I am his youth minister, okay? That created some problems. When your little brother would say something about you while you're trying to teach. While you're trying to lead people and he brings up some embarrassing moment that you've had. And then all of a sudden your authority goes out the window. Well, I remember one night we were doing a lock-in. We are kind of all standing around and the parents that are helping me out are staying there. And I guess I talked my parents into helping. I don't know why. But I have, uh, and I've always had this in my office. I keep a super ball in my office. I just bounce it. When I want to, when I need to think something through. I've just, I've done it for years. I don't know why. Well, I was talking and I was bouncing the ball, bouncing the ball. And out of the crowd, my dad goes, Hey, hold the ball. You know, it's like my dad can't stop being my dad. You know what I'm saying? You know, here I am. I'm trying to talk to these kids and he's, he's hollering it out to me. So you know what I did? I bounced it more. Yep. I just, I bounced it. I bounced it more. And then the third story is, you know, a few years ago, I had an opportunity to take a a, a ministry position at home at a church plant that my parents were going to be a part of, okay? And guess what played through my head? All of those things, okay? All of those things, because parents don't stop being parents, right? Okay, and my dad didn't stop being dad, okay? Didn't matter who was around, he was still going to be 
dad. Okay? And one, this is not the main reason, but one of the reasons why I felt like I shouldn't go was because of this verse right here. That a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. I was like, amen, Jesus. <laughs> amen, Jesus. I know what you are talking about. Okay, And Jesus knows it because He's experienced it. He's got this homecoming. He's brought His disciples. He's preaching in His home synagogue. And at first everybody's like, man, you are awesome. You are the man. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. I didn't realize you are who you are. We know you. And what are you doing? What gives you the right? What gives you the right? Authority. Who's, who, who even let you up there? And then they became offended at them. And then we come across two of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. He was not able to do a miracle there. Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. This is Jesus we're talking about. The guy who has defeated the demons. The guy who's walked on water. The guy who has stilled a storm. The guy who has raised the lame and brought the dead back to life. This is Jesus, and yet in his own hometown, he is not able to do a miracle. That is astounding. And he was amazed at their unbelief. That amazed there, that's the same exact word that's used at the end of chapter 5 to describe the people that heard the former demoniac. Okay, The guy that had the legion that was cleared of the legion and Jesus told him to go and preach. And so he went back to his hometown, the Gerasenes, and he preached there. And it wasn't enough, so he went out among the ten cities, the Decapolis, and it preached. And it says that everybody who, who heard him, everybody was amazed. It's the same word. As much amazement as the people had at this freed demoniac talking about Jesus, Jesus has the same amount of amazement over his hometown's unbelief. David Hewitt says that unbelief and faith are polar opposites. If faith is the capacity to receive what God wants to give, then unbelief is the willful refusal to receive what God wants to give. The question is, why couldn't Jesus perform any miracles in Nazareth? I mean, do we really believe that he had a a temporary power outage? That he just wasn't feeling it that day? That he wasn't, you know, he was kind of sick? You know, did he forget what he was doing? Was he trying to be humble in front of his hometown? 
The answer to all those questions is no. The reason why Jesus could do no miracles in His hometown is because the people would not bring Him the miracles that needed to be done. That's why. And there's a lesson there. And it's... Maybe sometimes we fail to bring Jesus the miracles in our lives that need to be done. Maybe we suffer from a little bit of unbelief as well. Or what Jeff Walling refers to as Nazaritis. Not believing. Not trusting Jesus. That's that's the reason. They would not bring Him the things that needed to be done. Instead, they chose to be offended at Him. They chose not to believe who He truly is. That He's more than, than just a carpenter. You see, in America... We celebrate the person that that rises from humble beginnings. We laud the one that pulls themselves up by their bootstraps. You see, but in Jesus' society, the world was ordered by rigidly defined class lines. And one could expect to remain in the class that they were born into. Okay, you had to be well born if you wanted to do something extraordinary. And of course, Mark accentuates this, okay, because his gospel starts off different than the others, okay? What a, what a Matthew who followed Mark, what do Matthew and Luke both do at the beginning of their gospel? They lay out this huge pedigree, they lay out all the genealogy. You know, you read those genealogies. And you got important people in there. Okay? People like David. Okay? People like Abraham. Matthew traces his gospel all the way back to Abraham. Luke takes his all the way back to God. Mark doesn't do anything. Mark doesn't give us anything about Jesus the first thing he tells us about is his ministry. That he's having all of, all of these encounters. His own family won't even recognize who he is. You see, in our society, there are still many who are offended by Jesus. But Jesus would not be deterred. He would would find another way. The way that he found in chapter 5 was to commission the demoniac to go and spread the word. What we're going to see next week is that Jesus is going to call the 12 disciples and he is going to commission them and he's going to send them out with his authority. Jesus was not deterred. He just adjusted his strategy and he told others to go and take the good news to them. You know, sometimes we have to adjust our approach. And 
That's why if I sense I'm in a certain crowd, okay, and usually it has to do with people that I have, that I don't know, I don't tell people, I don't lead with the fact that I'm a preacher, okay? That tends to make people act really weird, okay? And you might be offended by that, okay? You might be, well, well, you're our preacher. What do you mean you don't tell people you're a preacher? You know what? You go tell people you're a preacher and watch what happens, okay? You just watch it. People get weird. They get really weird, and they treat you funny, okay? The mere fact that you're laughing knows because you've done it, okay? So you know what I'm talking about. I don't lead with that. I let them get to know me a little bit and then slowly slide it in so that it explains some things, okay? And the reason is not because I'm embarrassed by it. It's because I don't want to be standing around by myself, okay? So I have to adjust my strategy. And sometimes you have to do the same thing. You see, the fact that people are still offended by Jesus 2,000 years later testifies to the lasting mark that he left on the world. People have been offended with Jesus since he hit the scene. Okay? And he even promised that that would happen to his disciples. Okay, in fact, he told his close followers, they hated me without reason. And they're going to hate you the same way. Okay? He said, in this life, you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. So let's talk about leaving our mark. Jesus left marks that were sometimes offensive to others. Okay? Jesus left marks that sometimes were offensive to others. And this is where it's tough. Means that when we live like Jesus, then we're going to leave marks that can be offensive to others. If we are living like Jesus. If we're not, then you got nothing to worry about. Okay? If you're not living like Jesus, you're going to leave another mark, and that's a hypocritical mark. Okay? And then people do the opposite. Oh, well, you said you were a Christian, but you sure don't act like one. You know what I'm talking about? If we... Truly live like Jesus. Let Jesus live through us. People should be getting offended. I'm not telling you to purposely go out and offend somebody, okay? I mean, I just told you why I don't tell people I'm a preacher right away, okay? But if we are really living like Jesus, then some of the natural reaction should be offense. Because just like the people in the Gerasene village, not everybody is ready for Jesus. Not everybody wants to hear it. So here's our question marks that we need to wrestle with. Number one, am I ever offended by Jesus? Jesus. 
If so, why? And that's a personal kind of a personal reflection question. Look at your life. Look at things that Jesus does and how he lives and what he asks of you. And don't be surprised if you are offended by Jesus. Because Jesus has high demands. Okay? If we are, then make the adjustment to be like Jesus. Second question. Are there miracles that I have failed to bring to Jesus? Are there things in my life that I am not trusting Him with? Are there circumstances? Is there something going on with your job? Something in your family? Something in your community that you're not trusting Him with? That you're failing to bring to Him? And then lastly, how will I respond when others are offended by Jesus living through me? Okay? Jesus, He is the perfect example in all ways because He shows us how to respond always. Okay? Always. He never, ever said anything derogatory. I've seen people that have been ridiculed for being Christians, made fun of, and then they stand up and they start throwing the same filth and ugliness back at people. Okay? It happens. You don't think so? Wait till 2020 rolls around. Okay? When the election rolls around, you will see it. People who claim to be Christians are going to say some of the ugliest things you've ever heard of. It will happen. Mark, to use, the, to use a play on the sermon, mark my words because it will happen. We must make sure we don't participate in that. Have your opinions. Vote for who you're led to vote for, but do it with integrity. Be good, right? That's how we need to live. This Jesus thing ain't easy. Amen? It's not easy. It's tough. But it can be done by relying on Him. So, are you living in a way Letting Jesus live through you so that others are sometimes offended. Or are you not leaving any kind of mark at all?